Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church here in Spencer, Iowa, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Coming to you this Halloween, the 31st of October, as we are set to celebrate the Feast of the Reformation, a feast which is, by the way, unique to the Lutheran Church. And as we celebrate the Reformation this morning, we now turn to the Divine Service Catechesis, which is, uh, which is teaching us about the Divine Service as the Reformers purified it from past corruptions, and which our confessional churches continue to keep pure from other corruptions. And you'll find this at the top of the Congregation at Prayer in the link in the show notes. Now, for you longtime Lutherans, Worship was known to you as TLH. Page 15. Today, the most traditional Lutheran divine service is known as Divine Service Setting 3, page 184 in the Lutheran Service Book, which is the service we use at Christ the King. Those two are the same service. The LSB service has updated the language, the pronouns, from thee and thou to you, but if you go back to older hymnals yet, such as the Common Service Book of the Lutheran Church, or the Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book, you'll see there the exact same worship service in those hymnals as you see on page 15 or Divine Service Setting 3. But did you know that this service, whether page 3 or setting 3, is also known among Lutheran churches as the Common Service? That's because through the study of many confessional Lutheran theologians at the turn of last century, they studied and put together what would be the typical Lutheran service in 16th century Germany, except they had it in English. And there are a variety of reasons why it's called the common service. First, because it is the common worship of the pure church Catholic, small c Catholic there. And second, because this service, as it was put together, was the result of the study of many orders of service or worship throughout the German lands. Now, if you take what's on page 15 of TLH, you won't find an order of worship exactly like it in 16th century Germany. Instead, the American Lutheran theologians studied the most common worship practices across the German lands. Then, through a certain well-thought-out process, they put together the most commonly used parts of the service into one service, which we today call the Common Service, or Divine Service Setting 3. And then there's the third reason why we call this the common service. This was put together by many Lutheran church bodies in the earliest 20th century, back when the churches that all bore the name Lutheran saw their doctrine much closer together than it is today. When they put this together, they put together services which were called the service of the communion, which we would call today either divine service, or if you look in the Lutheran confessions, they'd call it the Mass. And along with that, they had matins and vespers, two prayer offices or prayer services, which we retain today in our hymnal. While all congregations are not bound by divine law to use the same service, it is best that all congregations use the same service for unity and good order, and so that weak consciences among us are not easily offended, wounded, or confused. Now, when I say use the same service, you have to understand what I'm saying. In our Lutheran service book, we have five settings for the divine service. 
I am not saying that confessional congregations ought to use the same setting we do. That's not it. In fact, if you look at the service settings, all five, you'll notice that for all the major parts of the service, they all include the same parts of worship. And they're and all the major parts are in the same order, even the minor parts, they're mostly in the same order. There's some changes here or there, but nothing significant that changes that we're worshiping the same way. You see, the wording may be different between each setting, but they're all doing the same thing. And all the orders of service can be traced directly back to our Lord's institution of the Holy Supper and back to the book of Acts, where believers continued in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, or as we do, service of the word and service of the sacrament. As long as the divine service keeps those elements, as well as follows the order of the word and preaching, then the supper, then it doesn't matter what setting you use, we are in harmony. Now with that, we turn to our matin service and the opening hymn, Thine Honor Save, O Christ Our Lord.
open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. It is his and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. The first lesson for the Feast of the Reformation is written in the 14th chapter of the Revelation to St. John, beginning at the 6th verse. I saw an angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said with a loud voice, Fear the Lord and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all.
the epistle is written in the third chapter of Romans, beginning at the 19th verse. Brothers, now we know that whatever things the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent to be an atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood, for a demonstration of his righteousness through the passing over of prior sins in God's forbearance, to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time, that he might himself be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. Where then is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by a law of faith. We maintain, therefore, that a man is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God.
Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, O Lord, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant, give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the eleventh chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and shall not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved, and shall not be ashamed. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, and I shall not be ashamed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Gospel text says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yet wisdom, this is at the end of the gospel passage, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. By all the reason and logic of mankind, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't exist as we do now today. For starters, the way for Christ by all reason and logic, should never have been prepared because this is what John the Baptist was sent to do. But look at him. He wears rough clothing. He's on a diet of locusts and wild honey. And more than that, this text where Jesus speaks finds John in prison. Our Lord says, if you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. But what does it matter when this Elijah is found here in chains under Herod's thumb? How can the way be prepared by one who is so shamefully beheaded? More than that, the kingdom of heaven, by all reason and logic, should never have been able to come, should never have been able to break through the darkness and invade the devil's reign. But by which reason and logic of man can anyone say, That a shameful death on the cross can inaugurate the rule of the Son of David, let alone establish a throne for eternity. The church, by all reason and logic, should never have spread, because this is what the apostles were sent to do, to spread the word and the reign of God. But look at them. They're twelve uneducated fishermen. How can the church spread over the globe by such simple men, when all but one of them were put to death for the Lord they proclaimed. The most educated among the apostles, of course, was Paul. But how can the church be spread by him when he, like John the Baptist, was so shamefully beheaded? But it doesn't stop there. The early church went to get past the Acts of the Apostles. The early church, by all reason and logic, should never have survived the persecution of Rome for three centuries. Christ said that the gates of hell shall never prevail against his church, but how can that be by all reason and logic, when Christians were killed by mobs and fed to lions and wild beasts in the arenas? Not only that, but what about after Christianity was made legal? The church, by all reason and logic, should never have survived believing in the Trinity. The church should never have survived what we now call the Arian heresy, the belief that Jesus was God's first creature made divine, not that God is three persons in one and one in three. Because the Arian heresy spread through the church like wildfire back in the 4th century. Many congregations rejected the true teaching of the Trinity for what this teacher, Arius, taught. They rejected the scriptures for Arius. Back then, a man like St. Athanasius, you may know that name because we confess the creed that bears his name once a year, St. Athanasius never should have been able to confront such a heresy. 
as one man. He, he stuck by the true teaching of the Trinity while the entire world rejected it in him. He stuck by the true teaching even after being exiled numerous times from his home and his church. By all reason and logic, St. Athanasius never should have won in a battle of the world versus Athanasius. And the church never should have survived believing in the Trinity. And then we move forward through the centuries. Martin Luther, by all reason and logic, never should have been able to stand. The teaching through the entire Western church the predominant teaching at least, was that God gave you grace so that you could, by Christ's supernatural power from the cross, achieve your own righteousness. The teaching was that your cooperation was needed for your salvation. On top of that, the entire Western Church taught that the Pope was Christ's vicar on earth, and that tradition with a capital T, not just scripture, but tradition, not written down, was the rule of faith. Martin Luther, with his solas of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as found in the scriptures alone, he was only one man, one monk, one preacher, one doctor. And on him and his companions was the weight of the Western Church, the Roman Empire, and many European lands and armies against him. If you read how Luther comments about how the Reformation happened, He says that all he did was preach and teach the word, and then he went to have drinks afterwards with his friends. That was it. By all logic and reason, that should have never been enough to disrupt the popular teachings of the papacy and the Western church at the time. Luther's little German state should never have been enough to protect him from the lethal forces that wanted him dead. And then there's the Reformation itself. By all reason and logic, the Reformation should have never survived after Luther's death. Because after he died, the war and bloodshed began, with the Reformed German lands being brought to their knees. At times, entire Lutheran towns were wiped out. And as if that were not bad enough, the Reformation's new leader, Luther's friend Philip Melanchthon, befriended John Calvin, And the doctrines of Calvinism spread like crazy among what were supposed to be Lutheran schools and teachers. After Luther, the Reformation should have never survived the onslaught of bloodshed or the theological onslaught onslaught of Calvin. After the death of Martin Luther, a man like Martin Chemnitz should never have been able to confront the armies of the Holy Roman Empire or the teachings of rival reformers. He should have never been able to convince so many Lutheran teachers through so many parts of Germany to agree and sign onto the Book of Concord. Politically, we would think that would have been impossible. By all reason and logic, the Reformation should not have continued. The Book of Concord should not exist. And on and on we go. The Lutheran Church, after Chemnitz, by all reason and logic, should never have continued in the centuries that followed. The Lutheran Church should have never survived the juggernaut, juggernaut, which was the Enlightenment, which made reason triumph over the scriptures and theology. 
The Lutheran Church should have never survived that or the Prussian Union, where the state, the government, made Lutherans and Calvinists worship together, so Lutherans many times were required to worship like Calvinists. On top of that, the Lutheran Church should have never survived the rise of pietism, which came from her own teachers, who got away from Luther and teaching that salvation was from Christ alone who got away from the certainty of salvation in the word and baptism, but who taught instead that you could be sure of your salvation when you felt an inner feeling of conversion. Throughout all that, a man like C.F.W. Walther and the other German Lutherans with him should have never been able to confront this entire history of the Enlightenment, Prussia, and Pietism. That small group which immigrated from Germany to America, because of all this nonsense, was so small and so disorganized and had so much drama within it, that by all reason and logic, nothing should have come of them after they settled in St. Louis. By all logic and reason, they never should have been able to start a seminary or been able to start the church body that we now know as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And oh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, now we get to you. By all reason and logic, our beloved LCMS should not have survived over its history. Or it should not exist as it does now as a confessional Lutheran Church body. Look through our Synod's history and you'll see and hear about terrible infighting and selfish pride from the days of CFW Walther all the way down to today. And besides that history, our church body should have never survived what is now known as Seminex, when the liberal theologians of the church led many seminarians, pastors, and congregations out of the LCMS and tore our synod apart by all reason and logic. Those liberal leaders should have been able to take over the synod. By all reason and logic, we should have never survived as we are today as confessional Lutherans. At the very least, by all reason and logic, we should should not have any impact in the world of Christendom or even Western culture. After all, the LCMS is only, what, three million or so strong? We're about as numerous as the Amish. On top of that, when the average Joe hears hears the title Lutheran, They are often not thinking about us, the LCMS, but the ELCA, who is much bigger than us and over the decades has become increasingly divided from us in doctrine. And who are we as three million strong to contend with the sexual revolution and the world and all that's being pressed against us? By all reason and logic, our little LCMS remnant should have no impact in the world at all. Now, as we go on with this, this starts to hit closer to home. The history of of Christ the King Lutheran Church, our beloved congregation here, it's not much different from the history of many LCMS congregations. There's history of drama. There's history of false teachings trying to enter in, of people coming and going. By all reason and logic, our little congregation probably shouldn't exist, and we most likely should not have this podcast airing either. And then, as we go further, it gets even more personal, doesn't it? 
because by all reason and logic of mankind, you and I should not be here either, at least not as we are. Because you and I, we know our sins very well, don't we? Each Sunday before we come to church, we are taught to examine ourselves by the Ten Commandments. And every week, if we do this, we are well aware of where we have failed. The Ten Commandments say, you shall have no other gods before me. Nope, we failed that this week and probably today already. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We failed that. Hollow the Sabbath day, failed. Honor your father and mother, failed. You shall not commit adultery, nor steal, nor give false testimony, nor covet your neighbor's house, nor covet your neighbor's wife. Failed, 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 failed. And it's not just that we failed in these throughout our lives. It's that we know we failed in them this week. We know that we failed in them even this morning and in our hearts, probably in this very minute. By all reason and logic, by all the reason and logic of mankind, God would have nothing to do with us. We should never be able to stand before his presence. We certainly, by our own reason and logic, should not be able to call ourselves Christian. Christ says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. We hear from the days of John to our day today how the kingdom suffers violence from our flesh, the world, and the devil. And it doesn't matter what you do. If you fast like John the Baptist, they will attack you and say you have a demon. If you eat and drink like Christ, they'll call you a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of the worthless. By all the reason and logic of mankind, the violent ought to be able to take the kingdom of heaven by force. So then, by all reason and logic of mankind, we shouldn't be here today. We shouldn't exist as we do now. But to make sense of any of this, you must understand. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, is wiser than the logic and reason of mankind. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of mankind. On top of that, you must also understand this. As Christ says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. The wisdom of the word of God is justified over the logic and reason and strength of man by her deeds. By the wisdom of the word, John the Baptist, though beheaded, still preaches repentance to us today through the scriptures, still preparing the way in our hearts for the coming of the kingdom of God. So here stands John the Baptist, although he was beheaded. Here still stands John, long after Herod. He stands in the scriptures with all the prophets which came before him, and with all the prophets he proclaims to us, repent. By the weakness of God, God sent his only begotten Son to die for us. By that divine weakness, which is stronger than the strength of the devil, the world, and the flesh, our Lord died in victory and glory, becoming sin for us, so our sin may be put to death in him. By the foolishness of the word, our Lord did what was absolutely foolish to the logic and reason of man in that he rose from the dead in glory. 
so that the way of the cross prepared by John and traveled by by Christ is now open to us who are saved by his righteousness, which we now clothe ourselves within. A righteousness which continues to be blessed by the waters of baptism every day and which is nourished by the word and fed by the sacrament. Because you see here in the word and sacraments, Jesus stands before us as we gather around him. Here Jesus stands. As we look back through church history, as we ask all these questions, like how did the church stand against the persecution of Rome, or how did Athanasius stand against Arius, how did Luther stand against the Pope, and how did Chemnitz stand against bloodshed and division, how did C.F.W. Walther stand against pietism, the Prussians, the Enlightenment, how did the LCMS and our congregation here stand against our histories or the world today? How can we stand here as Christians knowing the world in which we live and the flesh in which we sin? How do, how do we stand against that? As we ask all these questions, our answer is found here in the word and sacraments, in the divine wisdom. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. The wisdom of the word of God is justified again and again because throughout all that history, here the church stands before the cross. Here we stand, we can do no other, before the gates of hell. And against all the odds which the logic and reason of man would give us, here we stand even today where the word is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, all because of divine wisdom, all because of the word of God. As we see the ugliness of our sin, as we fear the world advancing against us, as we fear if our congregations will survive and if new laws will close our camps, our schools, or even our church buildings, we ought not fret. Because here among us stands the word of God in all its divine wisdom, which has been justified by her deeds from the days of John to Jesus all the way to us today. And this wisdom of the word will continue to be justified by her deeds. That is, the church will continue to stand in purity in the word and the sacraments, even as the world passes by, and it will continue to do so until our Lord returns. And on that day, we will stand with him. There we will stand, risen, to stand with him for all eternity. We pray every Sunday in this last part of the church year, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for your church eagerly awaits you. But until then, Here we stand. We can do no other. So help us, God. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
exist upon thee to deliver me when didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin when thou hadst overcome the sharpness of death thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers thou sittest at the right hand of God mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Let thy mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Vouchsafe, O Lord, this day, to keep us without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us. O Lord, let thy mercy be upon us, as our trust is in thee. Hear my prayer, O Lord and let my cry come unto thee. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, 
Pour out, we beseech you, your Holy Spirit upon your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort them in all temptations. Defend them against all enemies of your word. And bestow upon Christ's church militant your saving peace. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you, 
For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Alleluia. Wherewith Christ hath made you free. Alleluia. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us, this day also, from all sin and evil, and that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and souls, and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this Christ the King podcast, this Matins podcast on this Feast of the Reformation. And please join us next week as we observe the Feast of All Saints or the Feast of All Hallows. Now, that feast is actually tomorrow, November 1st, but we in the church observe it next Sunday, November 7th. All the hymnody for this podcast comes from smallchurchmusic.com, except for the closing hymn, which was performed by the musicians of Christ the King. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church in Spencer or at CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this service, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend, or leave a review wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for these podcasts or would like to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses at the top of the bulletin, which is included in a link with this podcast. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.